0: Well, it is great to see everyone here today, whether you're in Maryville or you're watching online, we're super excited about uh, our Knoxville location. If you didn't know, we are one one church in two locations. And so that's an exciting, exciting thing. And so if you're watching online, you live in Knoxville, we would love for you to join uh, us there and excited about the dollar movie theaters being renovated and excited about how God is going to use that. If you've got your Bible, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're in a series working our way through the book of 1 Corinthians. And next Sunday will be the last sermon in this series. And then we have game day. So if you've never been to one of our days we call game day, it's a day for you to invest and invite into neighbors, friends, co-workers, family members, encourage them to come on that day as we share the gospel and have a lot of fun. You can wear your favorite teen jersey on that day. Just please no fights and no, you know, little skirmishes in the hallway. Uh, But it'll be a great day. Uh, have you ever known a really skeptical person? Somebody who just doesn't believe you when you tell them stories? They just they just, you know, have that wall up and they're just super skeptical. Um, it's that person who you, you come home from the fishing trip and they don't believe anything about what you caught or how many fish or whatever. And uh, they're just hard people to convince. Uh, my mom, when it came to movies, was hard to convince. She was super skeptical of any fairy tale, sci-fi type movie. She, she just hated sci-fi movies, Marvel movies, those kind of things. She didn't like it. She was more of a, a realist. She liked the real stories. Uh, she loved to read books and she loved to watch movies that were based on true stories and, and so so she would go watch movies with us, though. But uh, as a kid, I would just remember her, you know, these sci-fi movies, just hear her mumble under her breath as we're watching the movie, oh, come on, <laughs> a lightsaber, yeah, right. you're like, mom, it's, it's just make-believe, just watch the movie, right? That's how she was and so she just she just didn't believe in all of the fairy tale S-type stuff and and I was thinking about that this week because when it comes to the story of Jesus when it comes to the gospel she didn't view that as a fairy tale. She didn't view that as this made up make believe type story. She was convinced that the gospel was true. She was convinced that the grave was actually empty on that Easter Sunday morning and that Jesus was in fact alive. Now, some of you are skeptical. Some of you are watching today, you're connecting today, and you're skeptical about the whole resurrection. You're skeptical about the cross, you're skeptical about Jesus. And so you consider yourself maybe an intellectual person, you've thought through this, and you know, you've tried to gather evidence and whatnot, but for whatever reason, you find yourself here today and you've not really truly bought into the whole Jesus thing. You've not truly bought into the whole concept of Christianity. And maybe it's because of past hurts. Maybe it's because, you know, as a kid, you saw your parents and they were kind of hypocrites and and you didn't think it was like real. Or maybe people in church hurt you in some way. And so we bring a lot of baggage into a, a setting like this. But at the end of the day, I want everybody to really dial in on this one question Is Jesus alive? Because the way that you answer that question changes everything about your work environment. It changes everything about your marriage. It changes everything about how you approach school. It changes everything about how you approach your marriage. And so I want everybody as we walk out these doors today to settle in on that question. Like, are we convinced that Jesus is alive? Or are you someone that says, I don't think he is alive. I think he died. And And I want you to at least admit what you believe and own it today. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to see some pretty strong evidence to the reality that I believe that Jesus actually is alive today. Let's jump in to chapter 15, verse 1 together. He says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that He was buried and that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles, Uh, see and recognize and, and I think is interesting is that this is what what was known as a creed and so the early church Christians, the, the very first Christians who were gathering um, once Christ had risen from the grave on, that, on Sunday mornings, they would recite this creed together. And so they would say this and, and repeat this uh, together, which I think is really, really cool. That all the way uh, dated back right after the resurrection, we find these words and we find this creed given. And, and so it's interesting. We learned several important truths today. And the first one I want you to write down is this. Verse 3 teaches us that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. So let's start with this idea and understanding that Christ did die. He died a physical death. And so he wasn't just faking it. Like he literally physically died. That's important. Like he wasn't drugged and then, you know, they thought he was unconscious or, you know, were trying to fake that and then they stole him away or he escaped in some way. No, the the brutally beaten body of Jesus uh, hung on a cross. They stabbed him with a spear until he physically was dead. Now you might say, did he really have to die? I mean, isn't that extreme? And uh, I look back to Matthew 26, where Jesus is in the garden. He's getting ready to be arrested and he's praying to God. And he says, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass for me. In other words, if there's another way to bring salvation to your people, can you do that? And can you imagine God in heaven hearing his son pray this prayer and then God saying, Well, actually there is another way, Jesus, but you know what? I really want to see this. Go ahead and get arrested, suffer and die. Of course God wouldn't do that. That's absolutely ridiculous. The fact is he had to die. There was no other way. He was the only solution to the problem of sin. He was the only solution to give us a promise of heaven. Some people want to believe that Everybody is going to go to heaven. Like you just have to, you know, die and everybody's going to go to heaven because God is a loving God and he would never send somebody to hell and he would never do that or punish someone. He's a God of love. But, but then you would think, I mean, okay, well, if everybody is going to heaven, then would it really matter if Jesus died on a cross? And the reality is it wouldn't have mattered. If everybody was just going to go to heaven, then the whole story of Jesus, the the whole crucifixion, all of it's like pointless. It's it doesn't make any sense. And so the reality is, yes, he had to die. Remember, God is holy, which means he is set apart. He always does the right thing and he cannot allow sin to go unpunished. He cannot allow sin into heaven. So God becomes a man in the form of Jesus to live a sinless life to show us, yes, how to live and honor our life to God. But most importantly, he is dying for our sin, which is the next point I think is important. Jesus died physically because everybody has sinned. You have sinned. I have sinned. Romans 3.23 says that we have all sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God. And so sin in the New Testament, that actual word means to literally miss the mark. And so when we sin, born with the sin nature, we are missing the mark. We're missing God's will in our life. We're choosing to do things that are against God's will. That is sin. When sin occurs, born with this nature, it means that we are separated from God. And it means that it is impossible for you and I to have heaven once we die. It's impossible with sin. And so Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So the wages of sin, or in other words, the payment that you and I have to pay because we are sinners is death. Every single one of us will face death. We know this. We don't like to think about it, but the reality is our bodies are wearing out. Our bodies are giving in. No matter how great your diet is, it is failing you. And one day we will all face death. But he says the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, what is death exactly? Uh, wh- what are we experiencing? Some people believe that death is just kind of the end of existence. And so everybody dies and then it's just like over. There's no afterlife. Everything just ceases and, and, and it's just oblivion, right? And so, in that worldview, then it doesn't matter how you live your life. Uh, It doesn't matter if you have a moral life. It doesn't matter if you do good to people. There's no accountability after death. There's no judgment after death. And so it really wouldn't matter at all. Some people just want to spend time delaying death. And so they go after the the best and greatest diet and they focus on the the greatest exercise program. And so I'm going to go keto or I'm going to, you know, I'm vegan or whatever. Have your miserable life if you want to. (laughs) I'm going to eat bacon and biscuits and gravy, but it's all in proportion, right? That's the key. Um, anyway, I digress here. The reality is like you can focus on health. You can focus on diet. You, you, hopefully it delays our death, right? We, we all hope that is the case. But at the end of the day, whether you think about it or not, it's going to happen. And so it's important for us to to gather and and to recognize and to actually embrace the reality of death. Now really there's nowhere else in the world, in our culture, that's going to bring us to that truth. You're not talking about that at work. You're not really gathering with your family and have a conversation about death before lunch. Like this is the setting where we focus on those eternal, difficult, hard questions. And the reality is we will all face death. And Yes, death is scary. It's, a, it's a, uh, unnerving for us to think about, but it's important that we embrace it. And it's important that we start preparing for that day now. So practically speaking, if you don't have a will, you need to get a will. If, if you have kids and you don't have life insurance, especially young kids, you need to go buy life insurance so that they're taken care of. Those are practical steps to prepare for death. But most importantly, every single one of us need to begin to start preparing our soul for eternity, because we are not promised tomorrow. There's a lot of promises in the Bible, but God never promises us tomorrow. The Bible actually says today is the day of salvation, which means when you get an opportunity to give your life to Jesus and and, and you feel the, the presence of God in your life calling you to make a decision for Him in some way, do it right then and right there, because you never know what tomorrow might hold. But you know, the greatest tragedy in life is is not actually death. The greatest tragedy in life is someone who lives their entire life without finding their purpose, without discovering the meaning of life, how miserable it is. And I, I talk to people every week almost who don't know their purpose and they don't know the meaning of life. They don't know why God put them on this planet. And if you don't know the answer to that, you're struggling today in every area of your life, But it's not a question of existing after this life because the, the scripture is clear. After this life, everyone will live forever somewhere. Our soul, our spirit will live forever somewhere according to the scripture. So Jesus died because of our sin. But then thirdly, Jesus died actually to take your place. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it, it says, God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us. So God created and, 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 and allowed this gospel to flourish, right? Jesus has eternally existed and God makes him who has no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He is taking our place. This, his, my sin, your sin is being placed upon Jesus as he is our sinless substitute paying for our sin on the cross. And so by faith in him, we are now legally, we, we, our debt has been paid. The debt that we owed God is paid by Jesus. Now God doesn't see our sin. He's removed our sin. Now he sees the righteousness of Jesus upon us. Yes, I still struggle with sin. Yes, uh, sin is still in our life. But what allows us to, Uh, enter heaven is not the good deeds that I performed. It's not because I'm a pastor or I I did X number of good things in my life. The only way into heaven is by faith in Jesus. God declares us righteous because of the faith that he has given to us in his son, Jesus. So he took our place on the cross. And then secondly, verse four says another important truth. He says, Christ was buried and rose according to the scripture. So you don't bury somebody that's not dead. So again, he was buried after his death and he rose according to the scripture. So this is incredibly important. Jesus's main accuser was a a Jewish high priest named Caiaphas, and Caiaphas is the one that accused Jesus of blasphemy for claiming that he was the son of God and handed him over to Pilate to be killed. And, and uh, so he's a huge kind of player in the whole uh, scene of Jesus's trial and death uh, several years ago they were excavating and, and digging in Jerusalem and they actually found uh, the burial site of Caiaphas. They think they found that and some of his family members around. And we actually got the privilege several year, years ago of actually going and walking around that area and seeing it for ourselves. And it's, uh, it's, it's interesting that, that in, when you think about the life of Jesus, there, there are so many facts. Like you can find the grave of Caiaphas, but nobody... Not even his accusers, nobody to this day has ever uncovered the grave of Jesus. Nobody has uncovered the body of Jesus. Think about that. His body was laid to rest in a tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea. That was a, a very prominent member of the Jewish council. And the tomb when he was buried was sealed with the Roman seal and then uh, guards, armed guards were placed outside of the tomb to prevent anybody from messing with uh, the tomb or for trying to take his body. And so what's interesting about this story is you'll remember that it was Mary Magdalene and it was the women that were going to c- complete the kind of the, the spices that went onto the, the dead body. And, and as they got there, they found the tomb empty. And what's really interesting about that is at that time, you gotta remember that women were like considered second class citizens. They were, they were not even considered a, a legit witness in a court of law. And so they were overlooked and, and diminished. And so if you were making this story up, if you were just trying to fool people with this story, you would have not, if you were a first century Jewish man, you would have not said that the witnesses that first discovered the tomb was empty, a group of women, you wouldn't have done that. You would have put into the story that men found the empty grave. Why? Because they were a credible actual witness in a court of law, but you don't see that. Um, I think that's a huge part of the story. Uh, Another powerful fact concerning the empty tomb is that nobody ever claimed that it was anything but empty, Nobody ever claimed that, oh, we have the body. Nobody ever claimed that, no, you're, you're, you're wrong. It, 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 it's right there. They never said that. They all agreed. Romans, the Jewish leaders, everyone uh, knew that it, the body wasn't there. In fact, the only thing that the political leaders of the time could do is, is try to bribe the guards. And the guards were bribed. And, and the story that they gave the guards is, hey, say you fell asleep and that his disciples came and stole the body which doesn't really stand up either, does it? Because if you're asleep, how would you know that it was the disciples that stole the body? Obviously, they were just trying to lie and trying to figure out a way to uh, orchestrate uh, the demise of Christianity at that point. So the question is, how does it get empty? If it's an empty tomb, what, what happened? What happened to his body? Maybe you might think, okay, the, the, the Romans took his body. They, they, they stole the body. They wanted to get rid of it, right? But that doesn't make sense because the Romans wanted Jesus dead. They wanted this whole thing to be done with and forgotten about. So if, 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 if it was as easy as going to get his body, they would have marched his dead body down Main Street saying, look, everybody stop freaking out. This is Jesus, this is his dead body. He did not raise from the grave. Same with the Jewish leaders. You might think, well, maybe the Jewish leaders stole the body. But the same was true. They wanted Jesus dead. They wanted the, the, the Christian movement to, to be finished. They didn't want it to happen. So they would have been the first in line to, you know, to hold up, to march down his dead body. But they didn't because they didn't have it. You might think, well, what if the disciples did that? Maybe they wanted to kind of, you know, create this whole story. And so they're the ones that, that actually stole the, the body of Jesus. But if you think about it logically, they had nothing to gain by removing the body or hiding the body and they had everything to lose because they were tortured they lived lives of poverty they many of them were killed for their faith now think about that would they have really gone to to that length if it was all just a big hoax a big lie surely out of the hundreds if not thousands of of christians at that time Somebody would have said, "Okay, okay, okay. Don't kill me. It's all a lie. We took his body." But you don't see that. Maybe the women went to the wrong tomb. You know, some people say that. Well, they just went to the wrong tomb and it's like, "Okay, well, uh Peter went to the tomb as well. Did he did he have amnesia as well? They forgot where they had just put him 3 days ago." And and oh, by the way, Joseph of Arimathea, we know you owned the The tomb, did you forget where it is? No, he could have easily said, no, right there it is. And yeah, it's actually empty. So that doesn't really make sense either. Um, I think the most, uh, the, the unanimous, I think, testimony of history is that the tomb was in fact empty on Easter Sunday. There was no motive for the disciples to steal the body. There was no motive for the Romans or the Jewish leaders to steal the body. The fact is Jesus really did return from the dead. Thirdly, in verses 5 and 8, this is really compelling evidence as well. There were many eyewitnesses to the resurrected Jesus. So Jesus died physically. He was in the grave. On the third day, he rose from the grave. And there are many. In fact, there were over at least 515 eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. And so many people saw him. The tomb was empty. And over the period of 40 days, he appeared... Uh, at least a dozen times to more than 515 people. He appeared to men and women. He appeared uh, in small groups and large groups. He, he spoke to doubters and skeptics. He talked to people. He ate with people. He invited one skeptic to touch the nail scars in his hands and to touch the, 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 the scar in his side where the spear had entered him. And that, that disciple's name was Thomas. And when he, when he touched the scars, when he saw Jesus face to face, and he was an eyewitness of the resurrected Jesus, he bowed down and he said, my Lord and my God. He believed in the resurrection so much that he began to preach the gospel. And, and the story of history tells us that somewhere in South India, as he's preaching the gospel, he was murdered for his faith and for preaching the gospel. 515 people. Now, if you're an attorney, if you're uh, in the law uh, profession at all, you know that 515 eyewitnesses on your side is going to seal the deal. Think about it like this. If we were to hold a trial today and determine the facts of the resurrection, we were going to bring in um, all 515 of these eyewitnesses and we were going to let them share their story. and We were going to cross-examine them and ask them questions about their eyewitness account. But we were only going to give them 15 minutes to actually do that. You know how long it would take for us to interview and hear from all 515? Well, we'd start today, we'd go all through the night. If we didn't take a break, we didn't stop 24/7. seven, we'd wake up Monday, we'd still be going. Monday night, we'd still be going. Tuesday morning into Tuesday night, still going. Wednesday morning into Wednesday night, Thursday morning into Thursday night, we'd go in uh, Friday morning and sometime around 3 p.m., we'd finally finish 128 straight hours of testimony. Now, who could possibly not be convinced after hearing 128 hours of eyewitness testimony? The appearances of Jesus, you see, they weren't hallucinations. They weren't made up stories. It wasn't a sci-fi story. They are real events in history. They are uh, revolutionary truths. That when we encounter them, and when we see the evidence, and when we put our faith in Jesus, He transforms our life. When you think about the disciples, you you kind of begin to see that before Easter, they're not like sitting at the empty tomb waiting for Jesus to come out. They didn't have a clue. They didn't have a clue. They're scared. They're dejected. They're running. They're hiding. They're locking the doors. They're not going out in public. Peter's denying that he even knew Jesus. All of these things are happening. They're cowardly men. And yet after the resurrection, they are completely transformed, filled with courage, willing to preach the gospel in front of the smartest and the most powerful men in the world at that time. And they were willing to suffer and die for this story. Maybe you're not very persuaded by the facts. Um, Maybe you're not persuaded by the fact that they were willing to die for their faith. Because, I mean, we see this. Other people believe their religion and they're willing to die for their religion. Even a terrorist might blow himself up because he thinks that he's going to be with his God in paradise. So he believes it; he's willing to die. But think about this. It's very different when you look at the life of the disciples and and, and the origins of Christianity. What the disciples did is very different. You see, people are going to maybe be willing to die for their religious beliefs if they're convinced the beliefs are true. But you won't find people who will die for their religious beliefs if they know the story is false. If they know it's a lie, they're not going to die for that. So if the disciples made up this story, they stole the body, they made up this story, they would not go to the lengths that they went for a lie. It just doesn't make sense. So the question is, is Jesus alive? Is he alive? Tim Keller once said, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about anything he said? (laughs) And that's so true. You see, everything about Christianity hinges on the resurrection. If Jesus is alive, then he is Lord, he is God. If he lied about the resurrection, if if the disciples lied about the resurrection, then we are wasting our time today. If he did not defeat death, then everything that he said was a lie. But you see, the resurrection is what convinced everyone that he was the Messiah, that he was the son of God. It wasn't his sermons. It wasn't the miracles that he did. It wasn't his loving nature. It was the fact that he died and that he rose from the grave. That is huge. We don't just believe because it's written in the Bible. Well, we have to realize that the 27 books of the New Testament were all individually written by various men. And it was guys like Matthew who saw Jesus that experienced his life, that saw the resurrected Jesus, and he recorded it. He wrote it all down for us to be able to experience. That was his eyewitness experience. It was guys like Mark who did the same thing to give us this eyewitness experience that we can read and see and be convinced. It was guys like uh, uh, Luke, who was a, a Greek and he was actually a doctor and he, he studied the evidence and he talked to people and he gathered all the information and then he wrote it down and we call it the Gospel of Luke. And see, all these are individuals that wrote this down and all of it was then gathered together as we recognized that it was actually inspired work. I love James. It mentions in this passage that James um, actually is included in this. He's the brother of Jesus. Now think about your brother. How hard would it be for you to give him a compliment at all right now? Like you would struggle maybe to give him a compliment. But think about this. If he's the son of God, if he's the Messiah, could you admit that? Here's James, he grew up with Jesus. He knew everything about him. And yet he, he himself as the brother of Jesus is convinced that he is and was the Messiah. Paul mentions himself here and he says, look, I, I'm, I'm a nobody, I was persecuting the church. I was trying to kill Christians. And it wasn't until I saw and had a vision and experienced firsthand the resurrected Jesus that I was transformed. You see, the power of the resurrection is the foundation of our faith. It gives us hope. If it is not true, then we should, we should be pitied among all people. And that's exactly what Paul's point is here. He says, hey, if, 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 if this didn't happen, then everybody should really feel sorry for us. Here's what he says in verse 17. He says, if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, it's stupid, it's pointless, and you're still in your sin. In other words, it's not been forgiven. You have no hope of heaven. Then those who have fallen asleep, those who have died as, as followers of Christ, they've perished, they're done. It's over for them. There's no hope for them. If if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are all people most to be pitied. People should pity us, right? But verse 20, he says, but in fact, he's basically saying, I saw him. I saw him alive. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by one man came death, he's referring to Adam. Adam sinned. Death entered the world. The curse entered the world. By a man came death. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This man, because of Jesus, now we have the hope of the resurrection of the dead. Now, what is that? Resurrection of the dead. That's a little, you know, sci-fi, isn't it? I'm a little skeptical about that, Trent. I don't know about that at all. But when the Bible uses the word sleep, it's referring to death. These these. Christians who have faith in Christ when we die it's like you fall asleep and then you wake up to be in the presence of the Lord and so when he says the resurrection of the dead what he's referring to here is verses 51 through 58 so let's let's jump into that and get a little bit of truth here he says behold I tell you a mystery so it was a mystery but he's getting ready to reveal the mystery that God has given to him he said we shall not all sleep but we shall important. This is huge. The resurrection of the dead here is he's speaking about the return of Christ, that, that those who have fallen asleep or those who have died, then one day when the trumpet sounds and Jesus returns for a second time, remember the first time he comes to save the world, the second time he comes it will be to judge the world. And so those who have died, they will uh, be reunited, their spirit will be reunited with a resurrected, glorious, glorified new body. This new body will be uh, not subjected to sin. So it will not deteriorate. It won't age, it won't get sick. It will be immortal. Our current body is perishable. The glorified body that we will receive one day is imperishable. Those who might be alive the day that Christ returns, same happens to them. They get a glorified body, In a moment, it happens instantly, as quickly as you can blink your eye. And so he says, I want you to set your hope on that reality. That is your future. So be steadfast during the hard parts of your life. Be immovable when your faith is rattled and shaken by the hard, devastating things that happen in this life. Keep working for the Lord. Keep serving in your ministry, essentially. Why? Because your ministry is not in vain. You might think nobody recognizes it, and Trenton doesn't know about it, and my wife doesn't care about it, and nobody cares. Nobody gives me credit. Jesus will. He says, He sees you, He knows you. It matters what you do today. He will answer you, He will give you this victory. This is the hope that is before us. And so, no matter what we face in life, our problem gets really, really big. And if you're like me, you want to solve problems. And so then you can begin to like think about it all the time. And how am I going to fix it? And how am I going to fix it? And I've got to do this and I've got to put a plan together. I've got to knock this out, man. And every day I'm thinking about it when I go to sleep and I'm thinking about it. It's the first thing I think about when I wake up and it's exhausting. You may know what I'm talking about. It's exhausting. And what I have to do is I got to get my mind off of of, of this problem and I have to start putting my mind and my heart upon the son of God who is alive. And I recognize the cross and I recognize what he endured and what he did and what he went through and what he experienced was way worse than anything I'm ever going to go through. And he made it and he's providing a way for me to make it. And I don't know how it's going to work out but I trust that he's alive which means I have a hope and I have a future which means that every problem that we have will be solved in the name of Jesus in his time you see the issue for some of you is that your, your life today is, is is focused and you're trusting in something to get you through this life other than Jesus you're trusting in another religion you're trusting in success or money You're trusting in yourself to figure out how to deal with these problems and you're leaning upon your own understanding. And it reminds me of a story that helps us to get our attention back on where it needs to get on. It's a story that Alfred uh, Hitchcock wrote. It's not a real story, it's a fairy tale. So I don't know if my mom would enjoy it today, but it's a story that has actually a point. And the story is this, that there was... Um, a, a wife that murdered her husband. And so she was sent to prison. A uh, great way to start a, a story, right? But she vowed that she was going to escape from this prison. And so as she was being bused into the prison, she saw an old man who was burying a coffin into the grave. And so she hatched a plan and she said, I know what I'm going to do. And she befriended this old man and, and, and uh, he had cataracts and it was hard for him to see. And so uh, she said, look, if you help me bust out of here, I'll give you money to have cataract surgery. And she said, here's the plan. Here's how I'm going to get out. Uh, When the bell tolls, that that was a sign that somebody in the prison had died. I'm going to sneak down into the basement where where you do your deal and I will sneak into the coffin and then you bury me. And then after a few hours, you come back and dig me up. Then I'll escape. I'll give you your money. Boom, we'll do it. The man agreed. Well, time went on and sure enough the bell tolled and well uh, somebody had had died and so she snuck down into the basement and she crawled into the casket she was so excited she felt um, him lift her up and carry her to the grave and she could hear the shovels digging the hole and they lowered her down into the grave covered her up and then it was quiet and she sat there and she she uh, for the first hour was hopeful and then the second hour happened and nobody showed up and the third hour rolled around and she started to get extremely anxious and upset and, and started to panic. And so she reached into a pocket where she had a book of matches and, and she thought, I'll light the match and uh, see where I'm at. And she lit the match and the light uh, uh, shone in the casket and she turned and she looked and it was the old man sitting beside her. And the point of the story is this, the lesson for you and me is obvious. This woman had placed her hope and another human being who she sincerely thought would be able to save her. But he went to his grave and ended up taking her with him. And the sad truth is some of you are putting your hope and your faith and your trust into another person. You're hoping your husband and your wife is going to save you. You're, you're, You're hoping that Your success is going to save you or that your good deeds are going to save you. Your faith, your hope is in yourself. I can figure this thing out. I can do it. And every single one of us have to come to the reality that there is no one apart from Jesus that's going to give you eternal life and forgiveness of sin. There's no one that's going to give you purpose. There's no one apart from him that's going to bring healing into your life and, and give you the promise of eternal life. True true reality promised of this second coming and, and this eternal life. And I know some of you are skeptics and some of you have been holding out for whatever reasons, but I wonder if today is the day of salvation for you. Is today the day, young person, is, the, is today the day, older men in the room who have been stubborn and hard-hearted towards the gospel, are you ready to give your life to Jesus? Let me ask you to bow your heads and the quietness of this space and the quietness of this room. If you've never given your life to Jesus, I just wanna give you an opportunity to do that and you just simply pray this prayer. Make this prayer your prayer and then tell somebody today and we're gonna high five you and get excited for you but you simply say this to God. Just say, God, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he died on the cross to take my place because I'm a sinner. I confess my sin to you and I ask you to forgive me of that sin. And I commit to live my life for you today. I believe the tomb is empty and because of that, I can find life in you. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I just wonder, is there anybody in this room or anyone at our Knoxville location that just prayed that prayer. And if that's you, would you just lift up your hand and let me see it, let Pastor Taylor see it in Knoxville. Anybody at all, anybody at all? Praise God, I see you, young lady. Anybody else? Young man, I see you. Young man, way up in the back, I see you. Anybody else Say, I just prayed that prayer? Praise God. Praise God. I'm sure there were some at Knoxville. uh, At Knoxville here in Maryville. Can we just give a big round of applause for those that have just made decisions? And here's what I want to encourage. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. If you prayed and you made that decision today, before you leave, go to the care and prayer room and walk in and just say, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. And they're just going to be excited for you. They're going to give you some resources that are going to be encouraging for you and And uh, they'll talk to you and uh, help you take whatever next step you feel like God has put on your life. But don't leave without telling somebody about the decision uh, that you made today. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Let me ask God's blessing upon us and pray. And uh, then we're gonna close with a song to encourage us about the resurrecting power that Jesus offers to us. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for the empty tomb. Lord, I pray in the room, if there are still some that are skeptical and struggling, I pray that they would seek out wisdom and advice from friends and church leaders that they could have these conversations with to further their decision and further their understanding. God, we pray that no matter what situation we're facing today, no matter what we're experiencing, everybody in the room today would know this resurrection power that is alive and available to us. So no matter what we're experiencing, no matter what, God, that that we're going through today, I pray, God, that you would help us to know it and sense it and feel it. Give us the grace and the power, God, to continue to go and to move forward. Lord, we want to sing to you today. We want to worship you today. And so it's with that heart, God, that we come before you with this song. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand in worship. Thank you so much for watching this video. We'd love for you to like the video and leave a comment. And we also encourage you to subscribe and click the bell so you never miss a post from Foothills Church. To learn more about FC, just head to our website by going to foothillschurch.com or by clicking the link in the description below.